Mac. Welcome to a bed with Stan. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome. Episode 57. Here we are in my home address because I'm with one of my neighbours. And I'm here with Andy. Andy, hello. Hi there. Good evening. So, tonight we're going to talk about action movies. And I'm surrounded by DVDs in Andy's uh, living room. What do you say this is? Your dungeon? Your Yeah, it's my sort of bachelor... Um... Oh, cage? Okay. We'll go with cage, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, Andy, who are you? Uh, yeah, I'm Andrew Gentilly. Uh, I do uh, improv. I do improv comedy shows. I perform them and, uh, and teach them. I'm also a filmmaker, mainly corporate films. And I'm an artist, so I do drawings and illustrations and graphics. Um, and I'm a sometime voice actor as well, so occasionally do a bit of that. When is your next gig? In the improv world, do you have one? Yeah, I've got one in a couple of weeks, actually, yeah. Uh, uh, sure. From now? Because we're recording in oh, the last day of oh, August. Sorry. Yeah. But I think we're we're well, going to arrive. Hopefully, ago. It was a few weeks ago. It was a cracking show. <laughs> How it was, was really, it? Yeah. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> oh, you should have been there. Okay. <laughs> but what's your local pomme de terre, your local... Apples? Maybe. <laughs> what's, your, what's your local uh, haunt for improv where people can find you? Uh, I do most of my shows uh, down at the Hoopla Comedy Club, which is a room at the top of the Miller Pub in London Bridge. What's your advice to for someone who wants to do improv? Oh, some of the the, the key rules of improv um, are things like uh, not blocking. So if I'm like, uh, oh, Stev, here we are in a here, here we are in a boat in the middle of the ocean, you can't then. Go, I got to go with it. You got to go with it. You can't. Oh, be so like, it's no, kind of not. being anti-British, which I quite like. Not being cynical. <laughs> yeah, it, do you know what? It is very positive and upbeat. It's it's got a very the whole thing has a very positive energy. I love stand-up, but stand-up can be uh, a bit cynical and adversarial. Improv is very much um, inclusive and warm, and the performers are at the mercy of the audience, if anything. So, um, Have you tried stand-up? No, I, I did a one-man show in Edinburgh. It was more kind of spoken word, telling stories. Um, I haven't tried sort of budumtish jokes. Um, I, I'm not really a, a joke teller. Mm. I don't, and I, I don't get a lot of jokes as well. People tell me jokes, I, I get uncomfortable when they start because I'm like, well, what if I don't get it? And okay. So what about this one? Um, a man walks into the doctor's office and says, "Oh, I've got a really sore arsehole and the doctor goes, I like it already. "Can can you bend? Can you bend over?" And he goes, "Okay." And then the doctor goes, "Jesus, what have you been doing?" He says, "Oh, you know, I was, um, I just got back from a safari last week in Africa and I got raped by an elephant." And the doctor says, um, well, actually, this doesn't work on the podcast, but the doctor says, well, an elephant's cock is that big and the hole in your ass is that big. What happened? He went, well, he fingered me first. <laughs> oh, I got that one. Right, right. Yeah. But still, I think I told this before on the podcast. Yeah. It doesn't work because it's to do with vision. Yeah, no, you, you really sort of um, illustrated the, the, the circumference of the, 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 the elephant's f- finger there. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And who's good at improv that the audience might know? 
who's a notable improv comedian or just a comedian who's good at improv? Um, they might be aware of, for example, a show like Showstopper, which is an improvised musical show, and they're pretty big and they've been to the West End, so they might be aware of them. Uh, but obviously improv is much bigger in the States, so a lot of um, talented performers get to Saturday Night Live via improv. So people like Tina, Tina Fey yeah. and a lot of the, um, you know, the cast of Ghostbusters and that lot, they were SNL, but I, a lot of them will have come through improv. It's kind of a, a recognised Well, thing. I better start doing it as well then. Yeah, come and do it. Uh, we should do we get over to America and do it? I've been, uh, tra- trained in America and performed there a few times, and have yeah, you? they've got a much more developed uh, scene now. Do out they there, get yeah. the humour here now that there's all this Ricky Gervaisism in their comedy? Yeah, I think there's a real appreciation between both cultures. It's kind I think of mixed now. It's mixed. It's, it's mixed. not really divided anymore. Yeah, it's more coming together. Um, but no, it's always great. And, and that is, a, you know, and I do some improv in Europe and improvise some Have European you? improvisers. And, and, and actually just... And you don't even speak French or whatever. I don't speak any of that. They, they very, very kindly all just speak English. But also, some of them, even some of the people teaching it out there, don't speak English particularly well. And there's a huge amount you can do in improv, just physically. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it, there's, it's an entire sort of universe of different performance styles. Yeah. When is your next show? That'll be a couple of weeks, which was obviously three weeks ago. And it's in the past for both of us. It was in the past for both of us. And it felt great. Great. I was there. You were there, and it was great having you in the audience. And See, this like, is improv now. We're improvising now. We're riffing yeah. now. You've got it already. <laughs> okay, great. So let's play a song, and then we're going to be back with our main theme today. Should we get into the main subject now and say, is there a song that comes to mind that's your favourite action movie soundtrack song or theme? Actually, the score for Air Force One, mm. which is a, a wonderful and silly action film with Harrison Ford as the president, that's got a great score by Jerry Goldsmith. Mm. Um, and that sort of gets you quite pumped. So that might be a good one. Right, let's roll that. Beautiful, we're back with Andy with the action movie episode. That was Air Force One soundtrack. So if we mention a film that either of us haven't seen, in particular I haven't, I'm going to play a number one song from that year. So hopefully if it's not like 2018 or something where it'll be Justin Bieber or um, you know Ed Sheeran. So anyway, we're going to go ahead now with our top five action movies. So Andy, what is your number five? Five... Okay, I'm going to put my number five as uh, The Raid. Uh, Also known as The Raid, colon, Redemption, Mm. uh, which is an Indonesian action film. Okay, so we can play the number one. What year is it from? Okay, I think it's 2011. Never mind, I'll find someone like you. 
this your number five action movie of all time? Uh, I'm, yeah, it's probably the most recent one on my list because I tend to like older stuff. I was just blown away. It's a, a, a taut little action film just set in a building. It's fairly low budget, but it's sort of uh, ace in the pack is... Um, Iko Uweis, I think I've probably scrambled his name there, um, but he's the lead in it, and he is basically Jackie Chan levels of mind-blowing uh, stump work. Watching him just take down corridor fools of bad guys with whatever he can grab, whether it's shards of glass, pieces of splintered wood, or knives, um, is just one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Um, so this is like a diehard type thing. It's kind is it a tribute uh, or a version or what is this? There are obviously many diehard clones out there. I wouldn't class this as one of them, but I wouldn't be surprised if the director Gareth Evans, a, a Welshman director of this in Indonesian action film, yeah. um, I wouldn't be surprised if he was inspired by the claustrophobia of Die Hard and setting it all in one building. And uh, But yes, a bunch of cops have got to get to the top of the building and take out a crime lord who runs the entire building. And um, yeah, just the, the fights are just mind-blowing. And so how did you come across this? Is this on streaming services or what? Uh, it certainly has been on Netflix and Prime over the years. It probably still is. Is on this that. English speaking or is it subtitled? No, it's subtitled. There is a dubbed version, but I don't watch that just because I prefer subtitles to, du- to, to sort of... That's a bit Bruce Lee. Yeah, I, 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 I prefer to go with... It's just a bit weird when it was dubbed. I mean, it can be done well, but um, I prefer watching it subtitled. It's action porn, but, you know, with these action films, it's like, can you give a really good excuse for the action? And this is one that um, does with its setting. And, yeah, uh, just the the acrobatics uh, of the uh, action performers is uh, incredible, which is exhilarating. Okay, The Raid. Yeah. Right, so what we're going to do with each film is go through the trivia... So I'll read you some trivia here and let's see if there's anything to note about that. All the guns used in the film are airsoft replicas and are not functioning firearms. I mean, that's fairly standard, isn't it? This is what you get for not reading the trivia first. (laughs) The main character's name, Rama, appears to be taken from Rama Sukana, according to Sumatran folklore. Rama Sukana is a woman who is credited to have been the first person to teach Penkak Silat in a structured way. (laughs) So this is, seems like it's been ad, added by super bookworms of the film. I think any old random can sort of enter quote-unquote trivia. Oh, yeah, that's not very evocative trivia. So um, let's try with one more. Gareth Evans' debut film, Maranto, has a final fight sequence where two brothers fight the protagonist. In this film, the final fight sequence has two brothers fighting the antagonist. Okay, total body count, 121. Oh. Well, that's fairly high. That's, you know, there's a lot of death in it, and you're just constantly wincing at the kills. I mm. mean, they're absolutely brutal. So it's like the modern thing of gore is in the kills. Because mm. I watched a film this morning called Money Plane okay. with Adam Copeland, who is a wrestler called Edge, mm-hmm. uh, Kelsey Grammer, and Denise Richards in it for like two scenes. Oh. And, you know, it's like a snakes on the plane thing where people are getting killed. And it's rubbish, mm-hmm. 
but it added gore. There was a lot of ears flying off and oh, Russian right. roulette and stuff. Okay, I, I would. So that's a modern thing, feels to me. Yeah, I think people add a bit of splatter. Um, I think in in this, uh, it's certainly violent and there's brutal kills, but it doesn't sort of linger on you know wounds and you know, severed things it, it's sort of it's 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 very fast paced so people die horribly but it, the film isn't like giving you close ups of okay. know, exposed brain or anything yeah like i had this morning yeah, which is, is a bit weird having with, uh, with your cereal no right let's go to my number 5 which i'm going to have to do a bit of research to find out what it was <laughs> 5 okay so my number 5 is rocky 4 feeling about that um i saw that for the first time in full only a few years ago is that right yeah how come um because i bought the rocky set on blu-ray and i wanted to go through them and so I, that I, must be here in this surrounding area it's down there. hundreds of dvds it's down there there's the rocky the oh rocky. i see so had you seen any of them how did you do that i'd seen i'd certainly seen the first one i saw the sixth one in the cinema and really loved it i'd just forgotten how how good an actor Stallone can be when he has that speech to his son. Yeah. And he's going, like, I used to hold you up in my hair. Yeah, and, yeah. he, and, he, and he gives him some life. It's not how hard you hit, it's how hard you can get hit yeah. and keep moving forward. That's, That's brilliant like, motivation. I, I mean, that is great stuff. And yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah that had me tearing up in the cinema. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to be. But he's, he's saying it in a scene that's about like eating salads or something, so it's not yeah. really relevant, but he still puts it in there. He gets it in, and I'll take it. I mean, yeah. Stallone's successful. I'll, I'll take the advice. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. I think his son's just calling him an arsehole or something and he yeah. starts giving the speech. But yeah. Well, no, but that is the thing in Stallone films. The one thing that I've seen is common to a lot of them. He gets treated like shit to an almost excessive degree. Like, Rocky is the nicest guy ever. Yeah. And the stuff they're saying to him, like, in the first one, like, he wants to take Adrian out for a date. And, you know, she's very timid. And these sort of gangsters that he's working for are like... Take 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 the retard to the zoo. Take it to the zoo. Retards love the zoo. And the, he's this sweet guy, and Adrian's the sweetest. But that and is how life is. That's what I found. No, well, yeah, there's, that, yeah, that, it probably is. I'm nice to people and get nothing but bullshit back. <laughs> well, it's made I for you then. You identify, yeah. yeah. No, but he he gets so much shit in the Rocky films. Um, but it's interesting you say Rocky Four because I expected, based on its reputation, that that would be at the top or toward the top of the list. Okay. I actually, I didn't like it as much as some of the others. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. Well, the reason I've chosen it is that it's an action film, whereas, like, yeah. two and one, they're more dramas and stuff. Yeah. This is a straight thing. Yeah, it's 90 right. minutes long. Yeah, yeah. He goes to Russia to avenge the death of his friend. It's very simple, and it's very 80s. Yeah. And I just thought, I've got to have Rocky in there. Yeah. I like three, though, as well, which is very... It's got. It's a better film. That three really stood out. I was like, wow. You had, you had B.A. as the villain, yeah. and he was a great villain. Yeah. You had... Um, Hulk Hogan. Can, can I do spoiling? Can I spoil? Yeah. Okay. 
Can I? If you haven't seen Rocky Three, I don't know why you listen to this. Right, right. Yeah. I th- if I remember correctly, his trainer, uh, well, Mickey, yeah. he dies in it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that, that's, that's, well, that's big stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, I always thought that Eye of the Tiger was in the fourth one, mm. but Eye of the Tiger was in the third one. Yeah. And, I was like, and Apollo teams up with Rocky. It's like a classic turn. Yeah, so that, that that's when, yeah, Rocky and Apollo really become mates. Mm. And so, yeah, I thought three, three was right up there. I mm. really loved three. Mm. I could pick three or four. Yeah. And I've kind of gone with my, I don't know, I've gone with my favourites and gone backwards. These aren't the best action films, they're just my favourites. Well, I think that is an important thing to say up top because I always, there's two things going on for me. There's how good is a film and that is entirely separate to how much do I like a film. Mm. Because there's a lot of good films that I think, uh, that I I don't like Mm. and there's a lot of shit films that I love, like Hudson Hawk. Mm. Four... So my number four is. Um, <laughs> let me ah, go read my see, list. Got to check. Got to, got to check. Okay, it's uh, it's another Stallone film. Okay. Cliffhanger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I was going to add this. This is one of the most rewatchable films ever. The mm. most rewatchable film ever is Total Recall. Mm. Uh, but uh, um, but I love Cliffhanger. I still say um, I've got five kids to feed in everyday speech. You know, the cab driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of zingers in there. Yeah. Um, and I love Sharon Stone at the beginning. She's really hot. She's great. Yeah, that's like the peak of Sharon Stone. Yeah. Well, that or Basic Instinct. Yeah. Where did, well, yeah. same director though. Actually, yeah. it was interesting. She came back. With Paul a... Verhoeven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mad bastard. Yeah. 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 But uh, so I, I'm, I'm going with Cliffhanger. Um, incredible photography. Like the the the, the filming of the mountain. great to watch in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the the mountain landscape. I mean, I don't know if mountains have been shot as well before or since uh, for a cinematic fiction film the opening scene is one of the best opening scenes ever mm. it's absolutely did you great. see it in the cinema i suppose you're too young we both are too young didn't look old enough saw it on video dad right, dad too. rented it um i remember this film actually pretending to a mate of mine that i'd seen it and i hadn't and Why he was sort of, do I don't know, but he was going, What's it about? And I was like, Oh, it's just a cliffhanger. He's just on the cliff edge the whole time. It's very, it's very suspenseful. Yeah, I remember it, but yeah. It's actually very violent, though, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's really violent. It was actually censored in the UK to get a 15 rating. It was very heavily cut. Uh, the UK versions are now all uncut, but it's still a 15, but it's, it's brutally violent. The kills, are, the kills are brilliant. The director's just gone, like, How can I kill people with a mountain? Mm. So people are getting impaled on stalactites or they're falling into an ice covered river or a lake um people are obviously falling off you got avalanches um uh, there's some great dialogue as well well, i always remember uh, john lithgow's like stop transmitting you stupid bastard and all that you know like on the radios there's one bit where like once again they like this is another thing you want to talk about they gun down some like innocent people and one of the characters like you like you bastard. And then Lithgow's like, kill a few people, they call you a murderer. Kill a million, you're a conqueror. <laughs> Go figure. Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah. full of these over-the-top ridiculous zingers <laughs> like that. The guy uh, who used to be in EastEnders, yeah. is it? Craig 
Fairbrass. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. He's he's another one of the villains. It was directed by Rennie Harlan, who did Die Hard Two, and yeah. he sort of came from. I know he did one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. He got a bit of a horror background. One thing about him is he loves killing loads of like lovable innocent characters mm. and in the commentary he's there going he's sick, uh, he, he's sick. He, he, and the commentary is going like uh, wow we had to kill this character so that the audience would really want uh, Sylvester to kill this villains and you're like well but tone it down a bit because at the end of the film you know the, the characters of like quote unquote one but like most of their friends are dead yeah. they've been absolutely beaten the shit out of <laughs> and um they're like cracking quips at the end and you're like something feels it's like in die hard too and spoilers but he crashes a plane full of 300 innocent people Set and again the at the end it's like oh the weather outside <laughs> and like, hold on we've just seen like mass murder yeah. it's not that you know but and Cliffhanger's got kind of that going for it as well. But I mentioned that because, yeah, Craig Fairbrass, the villains, they're supposed to be like these international thieves. But for some reason, they're all complete psychopaths yeah. that like love killing innocent people. It's like so over the top and ridiculous. So let's go through some trivia. Okay, to demonstrate his faith in the safety equipment, director Rennie Harlan put on a harness and flung himself out on a cable <laughs> for a cliff. Mad, mad finish. During one climbing scene, Henry Rennie Harlan, sorry, complained that the safety lines were visible, so stuntmen performed the climbing without any safety lines. Wow, it's a bit of a nutcase. Sylvester Stallone partly took on this project in an effort to help him conquer his fear of heights. I mean, that's quite interesting, isn't it? He had a fear of heights. Uh, that That's quite a big deal. Um... I mean, I think the main reason he did it is because he was doing a lot of comedies and they were falling they were flat. Shit. Like, Stop on my mum will shoot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I did quite like Oscar, actually, but it wasn't rake, he wasn't raking it in like he was in the 80s. So he, he went, let's do action again. And it, it basically rebooted his career. Mm. Well, I think he then re-rebooted it with the Rocky Six. Actually. Yeah, I mean, this and Demolition Man yeah. were like his uh, Indian summer. Yeah. But I think a lot of this... The 80s was hardcore action, cartoon violence and all that. Mm. And then Schwarzenegger and him, they tried to do these comedies early 90s. Yeah. Twins and... Well, Twins is great, but, Twins. you know, uh, Junior, all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah, this is going back to the action. But nowadays, it's all PG, isn't it? When there's a, a sequel to a film like this. Yeah, it this... never be this violent. This is the thing, like... I think Die Hard 4, they sort of downshifted to PG-13. And you can't... It should be Die Softer. It's called Die Harder yeah, or something, isn't it? Die Softer. I mean, it's like... No, no, these films... And also tonally... The, the, there's one thing removing the violence, which is unforgivable, but tonally sort of aiming younger. It's like, now these earlier films aimed at an older audience mm. and, they, and they were brutal and they were pushing the envelope. But then Hollywood was like, well, look, if we get a PG-13, we can bring in you know, loads more people. Mm. Um, it's I money. Think, it, oh, it's all money, yeah. I, I think um, what they have done, though, is they sort of learned from that. So we've seen things now like Olympus Has Fallen, which I think is actually a return to the brutal violence uh, action films. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of films that are really violent, like the Saw franchise and all yeah. that. And <laughs> yeah. then all these films that we like are going softer. Yeah. And, like, even in Die Hard, he has to just say, yippee Kaye, and then there's a cutaway. You yeah. can't say motherfucker. Yeah, in the fourth one, it's like yippee kay, there's a gunshot. That's fucking crazy. It's unforgivable. That is rubbish. Yeah. 
All right, a couple more facts with Cliffhanger. Christopher Walken was originally cast as Quailin. Imagine that. Do you think that would have been better? Kill a few people. They call you a murderer. (laughs) Kill a million. You're a conqueror. That's a great impression. Down figure. (laughs) (laughs) I think they got it right with... with, um, with Lithgow, he, he's uh, he's good fun. Have you seen Santa Claus the movie? God, I I, I have seen that. it, but it would have been like 30, 30 years ago, probably Great more. I see John Great. Lithgow's in that Christmas two <laughs> is one of the lines. Oh yeah, for free. Do you remember that? I don't I, I don't remember. I just remember him. I I always thought his head looked like a sort of a baked bean, yeah. but um, I don't remember any lines from that. It's been so. I remember that um. Who's in it? The um, oh god, uh, Dudley Moore. Dudley, Dudley Moore, he was like yeah. an elf or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I need to revisit that because that was shot in like, London, I think. Was it? Yeah. yeah, like all these films that you think they're in New York in the eighties, and they're London. They're like done in Pinewood, aren't they? Things like yeah, something like Aliens. That's like done in, you know, Indiana Jones, Star Wars. They're all done in crazy, like Elstree. Yeah, yeah. Another f- fact about the part of Rennie Harlan, first choice to play Quailin was David Bowie. Imagine that. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Kill a few people. You're a murderer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I think Lithgow was the, 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 the right choice. Brian Ferry was also considered for <laughs> Quailing. It's so weird. <laughs> Come on, that's got to be a troll post. People are making it up. <laughs> what? Has Brian Ferry even done movies? I don't know. Why would he be a <laughs> It kind of works, though, with the quiff and stuff. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> He's got an evil quiff. Yeah. Um, okay, cliffhanger. So that's got to be a favourite. Four. So my number four is Commando. Great, yeah, great, so fun, great kills, yeah, love it. And this is a film with probably the most... I remember about 20 years ago when the internet was first discovered and basically I used to go to my um, internet room at uni and what I was most interested in was moviemistakes.com and I remember Commando had like the most mistakes in the history of all movies so anyone that knows this film like you can see them without even looking for it so when the car crashes I don't know if you know that scene halfway through where he yeah. holds the guy out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I lied and all yeah, that. Yeah. The car just drives away and it's completely unscathed. It's like a new car and there's oh, just loads of mistakes in this film. But I love this film. It's just so funny. It's the ultimate film for me to watch when I've got in from the pub or something. And it's just, it's not that it's bad. I mean, it is bad. The dialogue's bad, yeah. but it's just so fun to me. I don't know. How do you feel? Oh, yeah. It, it's sort of... A, it's a great simple setup. They kidnap his daughter and he's got to go get them and kill yeah, them all. Yeah, um, Which is great. Um, but, yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, you've got genuinely funny lines like, he's dead tired. <laughs> um, but then you've also got um, the, just the hilarity, the unintentional hilarity of the villain. This guy who's about a third the size of Schwarzenegger has like a hand-to-hand fight with him. And he's got like and a sleeveless... Is he Australian of... or South African? I still don't know. I've seen a film about Not, 50 times. I think he's Australian, but... It, I Vernon don't Wells. Vernon, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got a ridiculous Freddie Mercury moustache. 
black leather chainmail sleeveless top. So he does even say I was going for Freddie Mercury on steroids. So Did he? is he going for some sort of what, what, gay what? sort of Terminator person? It sounds like it, but what, why would why? Yeah, I'm going for that. Like, what, why? 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 <laughs> that's that's not a good idea. It just looks really. And also, like at the end, Arnie uses like psychology to get him to give up his gun and let go of the the daughter and he's just like come on Bennett you don't need the gun you don't need the girl come on and then Bennett's like you're right Matrix I don't need this gun what the oh my god I mean it's just an absolute hoot without really intending to be and now something I can't put in the podcast is when he jumps off the plane do you remember that stunt yeah yeah, yeah, good, so good anybody stuff. listening to this, please just Google Commando Plane Jump. So I'll put it on now for us to see. And just in case you've forgotten how amazing this is, and I'm talking about bad special effects, I'll put the audio of this in, which won't be enough. Is this the stunt from the film? Yeah. Okay. Right, so check this out. Here's the sound of it, ladies and gents. But the, the genius of this is the cut... So he's, he's leaving it way too late to jump off this plane. It's looking pretty good so far. I'm buying this. He's on there. Look how high this is getting. <laughs> now, this is him. He jumps off. Look. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you miss that, he jumped from around 500 metres in the air. And the next shot, he's just landing in a bush. And then he starts. He's not. Uh, he's unscathed. He gets straight up and he's looking at his watch. He, if anything, he looks uncomfortable in his jacket. Yeah, and a clear dummy shot there. Uh, that is one thing where, yeah, <laughs> modern CGI could probably tidy up like a, an obvious dummy just descending. But this is a great film for me. It's after Terminator, which was 84, and then it's before Predator, which is 87. So Schwarzenegger's on a real roll here. But this is probably my favourite, personally, Schwarzenegger film of the 80s. I love Predator as well and Terminator but this is like my tone because it's stupid yeah it's it's great fun it, it, it's similar to sort of total recalling just OTT and a lot of fun before I go for a wee let's establish your top three Schwarzenegger do you have any Schwarzenegger films left in your top five I don't think I do actually okay so let's do a quick uh, round up of some Terminator music under this top three Schwarzenegger action movies Top three Schwarzenegger action movies, Terminator 2, Total Recall, and Predator. Mm. Is that your order? Predator's number one? Uh, no, no, it's probably probably the, re- probably the reverse order, yeah. So, so, so Terminator 2 would be my best one, then Total Recall, and then Predator. And I want to get True Lies in there because I love uh, it, and, yeah. and people, and people don't talk True about Lies. that film any, enough. The Sam Beard Joke of the Month. Here we go. How'd you kill a circus? How? Go for the juggler. Hmm. <laughs> Alright, welcome back. So we're here with Andy and we are talking about our top five action movies. Three. Number three, and I didn't know whether this counted, but I'm going with Casino Royale. Mm. 
Now, I was going to ask you a sub-question, yeah. which is, Shoot. what's the best action movie of the 2000s? And my answer for that was Casino Royale. Yeah. And so, how come you've come to this answer? And I'll just open a Guinness while I'm doing this. Multitasking. <laughs> Basically because um, the action scenes are absolutely incredible. Yeah. That free-running scene near the beginning is one of the best action scenes ever put to film. What it does is it gets the action right, so they're, they're all filmed really clearly. You can see the geography. You can right. see the choreography. This is what I don't like in, in fight scenes, is when it's just choppy editing and shaky cam, because it just means we don't have to bother choreographing this thing. Casino, I couldn't believe how good it was. It's absolutely brilliant. So is it your favourite Bond film? It's not. My favourite Bond is The Living Daylight. So that's a Timothy Dalton one? Yeah, Dalton's my favourite Bond, controversially. Really? I love Dalton. I love him. He played the Bond from the books. The Living Daylights has some wonderful action scenes. Obviously, it's 1987. But The Living Daylights is, is probably my favourite Bond. But Casino Royale is probably my second one. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Really good. So, Casino Royale, yeah. I actually met Daniel Craig. He came yeah. in the bar that I was working in like 10 years ago and I was in there just me and him for like four hours and he was a good guy. And uh, I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Liverpool. And I was like, you're not from Liverpool. <laughs> Which I thought that was weird. It doesn't sound like hey. hey. No, no. And he just wanted to talk about Guinness all day because it was an all Guinness bar. I used to work at Guinness. And uh, I remember I was running a Bruce Springsteen night where all the acts were playing Bruce Springsteen. And when he first came in, I went, are you here for the Bruce Springsteen night? And he's like, no. But he was an all right guy. Was he? Was yeah. he? What, what, what? No, he wasn't there for the Bruce Springsteen night, but oh. he was just having a pint. Okay. Well, five pints because I plied it with a drink. I think he went through a patch where he was not happy with the fame. This is before, this is after Quantum of Solace, I'd say. Okay, like I, I get the sense he's more at ease with it now, but I got the he's sense... He's wearing a flat cap. Was he? Yeah, and he was in New York. He just moved there with, with his wife, Rachel White's... Yeah. Is that how you say her name? And uh, I remember that the owner of the bar came down and he was like... He always liked to show people in the bar that were famous or whatever. He used to try and show off about his famous friends. And so he had like a Playboy Miss... 1976 or something that had been in there in like the 90s or something before he opened the photo of of steve this guy and this playboy woman i said just so you know it's going to be the person on the left (laughs) and you know he thought that was really funny because like he opened up but it's obviously a man and a woman but um with daniel craig i had to kind of balance what i always had to do in that job was this dickhead i was working for who lived above the bar (laughs) and was obsessed with famous people so um people came in the bar and said oh you know it becomes like a celebrity thing where it's like you're gonna do another bond he's like yeah i don't care as long as i get paid or whatever you know yeah he did say that and i think he was just trying to be funny so um and i do like casino royale okay so let's do a little bit of trivia daniel craig initially rejected the part of james bond as he felt the series had settled into a standard formula he changed his mind when he read this script well uh, yeah I can see why. I mean, it's an it's an actor's script. I mean, the character's great. In the shower scene, Vespa, in brackets Eva Green, was originally scripted to be wearing nothing but her underwear. Daniel Craig argued that Vespa would not have time to take her clothes off and the scene was changed. Okay, so let's move on to my number four. Or number three, sorry. Mm-hmm. A few Guinness in right now, but it's all good. Three. My number three is not necessarily hardcore action is 48 hours the boys are back in town. 
you know what? If I've seen it, it was so long ago. I certainly know of it. I think I saw bits of it when I was very young. I have virtually no memory of what actually happens in it. So this, is, so this is probably the first buddy cop movie, which is why I'm sort of mm-hmm. going for it. So Eddie Murphy is a con who's taken out of prison for 48 hours because he can find a killer. And Nick Nolte is the kind of brutish alcoholic cop. But Eddie Murphy is largely unscripted and just being funny. It's not a comedy role, really, that was written. Same as right. Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. which was like a script for Stallone right. where... Murphy makes it a comedy. This is my favourite just because I love Eddie Murphy. I love buddy cop movies. I don't know. It's cinematically great as well because you get to see a lot of San Francisco if you haven't been there. Mm -hmm. A lot of Chinatown, a lot of weird hills and lights. Mm -hmm. You know, similar to something like Bullet with Steve McQueen where you get to see San Francisco as a real character in the film. I love that when you get those sort of city films and they, they, yeah, they film it in the city. And there are films when they're filmed on location. You don't get this now because everything's done with a green screen or it's on a set. But I love one thing about cliffhanger. Like you want to go to the the Andes. I mean, it's filmed in yeah. Italy, or you know, or Bond films. They still film them in the real location. You're like, oh, I want to go there. But that's interesting. So that's a good San Francisco uh, travel on. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's the first body cop film, and stuff like Lethal Weapon and Rush Hour and all yeah. that stuff followed this, and it's got an interesting tone because it's not a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an action movie where mm-hmm. there's not an incredible amount of action, mm-hmm. but. I love it. And it's got yeah. a show-stealing scene where Eddie Murphy walks into a sort of redneck cowboy bar yeah. and has to get everyone to tell him what he wants to know about where the whereabouts some villain is. Yeah. It's, it's, as you can imagine. It's like the scene that sets Eddie Murphy right. on in act, acting, you know, yeah, in Hollywood. Because yeah. before this, he'd only done Saturday Night Live. Really? This yeah. Was, this was his first... This is his first film, 1982. So here's some trivia. James Remar, who's the baddie, often went without any sleep before shooting his scenes in order to give his bad guy Gans a more washed out psychotic look, which he does look like that, you know. It's quite violent. There's a sequel to this as well called Another 48 Hours, which is, uh, it's good, but it's like a more violent, less funny film where Eddie Murphy is in 1991 or something. So it's after all of his success and it's not the same. Walter Hill allegedly felt that Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours, Reggie Hammond, had been reused and morphed into Axel Foley for Beverly Hills Cop and its sequels. Okay, yeah. So you've seen Beverly Hills Cop, so you get an idea. Yes, yes, but not the second one. Really? I need to fix that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to watch it and then it went off Prime and I'm like, ah, mm. I will. Um, 80s Eddie Murphy is mm. stratospheric. I mean, mm. Coming to America is probably my favourite comedy. He's so funny. He's actually a damn good actor because mm. you can he's so funny. Well, a lot of comedians are the best actors. Yeah, they, they can be, can't they? His performance in Coming to America is, is brilliant. I mean, he hits all the emotional beats as well as playing 50 characters in the film. Two. I wasn't going to put this in because it's sci-fi, but you can't talk about action cinema without this film, The Matrix. Revolutionising the way action scenes are done. Yeah, just completely pushing the boat out. Jaw-droppingly awesome fight scenes, as well as being, you know, an incredible film. I mean, a science fiction masterpiece. 
there's a lot of thought behind that script and there's a lot going on and there's a lot of philosophy going on and as they describe in the the sort of sleeve for the film the Wachowski brothers I think they're with Wachowski sisters now um but they describe it as um we wanted to make a chopsocky action film that also comments on the Hegelian dialectic. So it's a very thoughtful, philosophically rich film and is an incredible action film. I mean, there's, there's nothing quite like it. Mm. Maybe the sequels, but the sequels... Uh, I haven't seen the sequels. How are they? They got a lot of shit. I always liked them, especially Reloaded, the second one. I didn't think they could top how mind-blowing the action was in the first Matrix. But some of those scenes in Reloaded where Neo is fighting hundreds of Agent Smiths, the choreography is gorgeous, it's clear, it's incredible. There's car chases that go on for about half an hour and they're just constantly one-upping themselves. And that holds your attention, though? It does because they vary it enough and there are different villains with different powers and different threats and they're changing vehicles. They manage to make it entertaining. But the sequels don't have the this sort of tautness um, and economy of storytelling of, you know, they get bogged down with some of the philosophical stuff. Um, it's too wordy. Um, but the first one, the first one I think is a perfect film. Mm. I, I wouldn't change any. I mean, it's, it's absolutely extraordinary. Normally, I, I watch an action film and there's a part of me that's, you know, enjoying the action film as it's going on. And there's a part of me that enjoys making films that's going like, how did they do that? Mm. And I'm watching The Matrix and its sequels and I'm going, how the hell did they do that? I mean, that is... It's like Terminator 2 as well, where it's like revolutionary effects. And... Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you've you, you got these incredible actions and then it goes into bullet time, so we're moving at the pace of a bullet, so everything's in slow motion. Mm. At the same time... That would never be done. That got copied a lot. It was totally ripped off endlessly after that. And again, all shot on film cameras. This isn't done in digital, where you just plug it into your computer and you just play with the pixels. Mm. This is all shot on cameras. And when they did like a camera swirling around Neo who's dodging bullets in slow motion. He's doing that, and they've set up like hundreds of cameras around him, single one-take, one-shot cameras, to go off at a certain time, and then they stitch it together in the computer. The way I describe it is when you watch something shot on film, you can smell it. You can smell the locations, the environment. There's something about the grain, the photographic quality. It's emulsion. I don't know. what It's light you can just feel it when stuff's on digital you can make beautiful images and there are incredible films shot on digital it all feels a little bit synthetic so i'm glad there are people like tarantino nolan spielberg scorsese still shooting on film and I, like i say i didn't want to put a sci-fi film in but I, I have to because the action is you can't talk about action cinema without talking about the matrix mm. all right so let's do some trivia the opening action scene took six months of training and four days to shoot. That's the other thing. The actors did their own kung fu. You've got the actual fights, which are incredible, but then the way the camera is dancing around it in perfect composition. I mean, the Wachowskis are superhuman. To prepare for the scene in which Neo wakes up in a pod, Keanu Reeves lost 15 pounds and shaved his whole body to give Neo an emaciated look. I've got to give it to Keanu. Yeah. He's one of those actors who isn't a great actor, mm. but he nearly always picks really good projects. Again, in New York, I used to be—I used to deliver fish and chips, and I remember that I was riding this, this scooter where I used to deliver the chips, 
straight down Second Avenue, and um, it was quite late at night, and there was no one on the street at all. And uh, Keanu Reeves just appeared out of nowhere, wailing like hailing a cab. But I'm riding a scooter, and it was him. It's just one of those wow. New York moments where he'd had a few drinks, he had a beard, yeah. and yeah, he tried to hail me down, but I wasn't a cab. So did did you stop to say something to him, or did you no. just whiz on? Oh, like, there's Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. See you later. <laughs> He's quite drunk. Two. My number two is Die Hard. amazing it's like a template for action movies well i'm, I'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to, it's my number one okay it's my number one so you better go deep on die hard. let's just do this now okay. i mean where do you start with it go on, well it's your number two go on you start what, what do you love about it so i like it because it's so well, it's a great performance by all the actors i will say i'm not a huge willis fan it's mm. a bit, i think it's a bit of a prick in in real life he's or whatever. Into yeah life. yeah he wasn't before he certainly is yeah and he's not really in it anymore so his performance is great uh the guy on the radio the cop on the floor is great as well and i love their dialogue it's one of the first films where there's loads of phone chat yeah, yeah. and the theater of that Alan Rickman's great, like like really kind of um, not camp, but kind of just a great performance. Like, ladies and gentlemen, the Nakatomi Plaza. You know, I love all that. You know, um, so the acting's great. It's a simple story which you can watch again and again. It's become a Christmas movie, which I like because it's like, why not watch a good action film? I don't know why it's so endlessly watchable, but it did lend itself to speed okay it's die hard on a bus or it's die hard on a boat under siege the sequels had die hard in new york die hard with a vengeance and you know i do love die hard with a vengeance as well until you actually see jeremy irons so like before you see him it's the book simon says where they have to go around stopping bombs from detonating so it's based on a book isn't it it's a simple premise Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just felt like Die Hard's got to be there. Like, my number one, you'll see why as well. I've gone for ones that were culturally influential, mm-hmm. simple, yeah. and ones that everybody knows. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I mean, where do you start with Die Hard? I mean, it's my number one. It's um, a perfect symphony of an incredible screenplay. I mean, they, they teach this screenplay in classes for mm. how to write a perfect screenplay. It's got a wonderful circularity to it. Like in Back to the Future, they always talk about, you know, the setups and the payoffs. There's so many things set up at the beginning, the Rolex, the limo, lots of things set up at the beginning of the film, then pay off towards the end. So the Rolex... It's like a ride or something. You're going into the building. Yeah. And you leave the building. It's weird. It's like some sort of experience, the film, that you do again John, and again. John McTiernan, and the director... Listen, He's great. Listen to his director's commentary. This guy is an artist weaned on European cinema who was given an action movie to make, um, as he was with Predator. And the the detail... He said it's partly... The Predator is amazing as well. Predator's incredible. It's the year before. Uh, Predator was the year before, yeah. yeah. He said that he sort of partly based it on Midsummer Night's Dream. You've got the normal world, then it goes to night, everything goes crazy, and then mm. everybody wakes up again in the morning, and everything's, and everything's normal, again. normal, but it's like changed after yeah, the crazy. He uses all these editing techniques, so there's like a rhythm to the editing. You can feel the personality of the director behind 
the frame and that is one of the sort of signatures of a, a great film like Tarantino you can just feel Tarantino's yeah. presence but yeah. with McTiernan there's a certain wit he's having fun there's great one-liners obviously and the script's full of like a celebration to watch and and McTiernan because originally it was about they were real terrorists and McTiernan said I want to make a fun film that you can come away from at the end and you can say, you know, I had a good time. Mm. And so he turned the villains into robbers, not terrorists, because he said terrorism is just fucking mean and horrible. Yeah. Let, let's make this a fun film. Supporting cast are great as well. The whole support. Like you said, Reginald Bell Johnson, who plays the cop, he's incredible. I love his relationship with McLean. The pacing is... You don't see any sort of killings until about 20 minutes into the film. There's loads of characters set up. Rickman, just one of the best movie villains ever. Just And it's absolutely. improvised, I'm seeing here in the trivia, the really? scene where, they, uh, where he pretends he's American. Yes, they, they, that's right, because the studio said, we want... We can't just have... McLean meet Hans at the very end of the film. They've got to meet each other before. That's a great... It's a rare case of the studio butting in and actually improving the film. That is one of the best scenes in the film. With Emily as well, she did tell me that she had Alan Rickman come into one of her acting classes, so Mm. as a guest speaker or something, and someone asked him, Mm -hmm. "Um, what's your advice on playing a villain? And he said, I've never played one. Well, that's <laughs> that, but that's it, right? Yeah. He, he, you play the character. What does the character want? I yeah. think I saw him in an interview. I like, what does he want? He's trying to get what he wants. <laughs> you know, and um, the, what it is, is it's a wonderful combat film. The villains do something. John McClane retaliates. Then they retaliate. Then they retaliate. And it builds. It just stacks on top of each other. And it keeps building and building. Mm. It's simple and it's like you're engaged. And because yeah. it's like... It's kind of enticed into this one building and it's just interesting that and they're holding it hostage and no one can come in. I mean, you know, Dog Day Afternoon's a bit like that as well, yeah. you know, and it's like set in one place. I think the New York thing in the third one works, but the other Die Hard films, I don't know, speed and stuff works better for me yeah. as a Die Hard film. Yeah, Cliffhanger's kind of Die Hard on yeah. the mountain. Yeah. And then the, the, other, the other good Die Hard clones that I think are great are... Air Force One, which yeah. I think is good. That's sort of diehard with the president on his aeroplane. And then uh, Under Siege, actually, with yeah. Steven Seagal, with Die Hard on a battleship. And how do you feel about the sequels of Die Hard? So I love Die Hard 2. Mm. I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. I hate Die Hard 4. And I hate Die Hard 5. But <laughs> Die Hard 5, I aborted it. It's actually completely awful. Yeah. It's not watchable. Yeah. So 4... It's like a PG thing. Yeah. And it's okay. It's all... I would watch it again. If it was a standalone film called Fire Sale, starring Bruce Willis, not playing John McClane, you'd be like, do you know what? That's a sort of five and a half, maybe six out of ten piece of shit that you can enjoy. But the fact they... It's like dropping a turd in a well. One... Okay, so drum roll please. My number one is First Blood Rambo. Haven't haven't seen it. Oh for, my god! No, 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 no. For about okay. uh, twenty years, okay. and don't remember it that well. Right and. 
love the recent two Rambo films, actually, okay. controversially, yeah. and really want to revisit it. So maybe there's a movie night to be... Yeah, I do think this is a good film. Again, it's like a template for an action movie, and it's quite simple. It could be a Western as well, where there's like a guy crossing the border, cop doesn't like the look of him, chases him out, a lot of ad-libbing. Again, like Cliffhanger, there's lots of cinematic, lots of the outdoors, yeah. simple plot line... Again, like in Rocky Three, Stallone like breaks down at the end about being a Vietnam vet, and I think mm. just a great film that I'd like to just, I'd happily put on again and again. Similar to Die Hard, I don't know why these films have that element. They're the template for like five sequels, each of them. Brian Dennehy is the baddie who's kind of chasing him, and yeah. then you know he's just setting traps for loads of people in the jungle and stuff like that. Yeah. There's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah, it's it could. It's a silent hero, isn't it? I think a lot of it has been successful in loads of countries because you don't need a lot of dialogue, you know. And it's just like watching Tom and Jerry, cat and mouse type thing. Yeah, I remember enjoying it when I did see it. I, I didn't. I didn't fall in love like when I first saw Die Hard. It was like a mm. spellbound. Mm. Um, it's not as charming as that with the it's lines. A, it's it's ser- more serious, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it yeah. takes a, and this torturous element. The police are not being fair on him. It's that Stallone thing again yeah. of everyone treats him like absolute shit. Yeah. I mean, in Cliffhanger, so at the beginning, okay, he does his best to save someone, doesn't go well. His best friend blames him. <laughs> he then leaves. Then he comes back. His girlfriend gives him a hard time. He's like, get over it. His friend still blames him. International terrorists crash land on the mountain and then force him at gunpoint <laughs> to find them. And then they bomb him, beat him up. Um, and kill all of his friends, and um, it's just like he's having the worst day. Fault. Yeah, he's just having the worst time. He's just this nice guy. It's just, but it's in Rambo as well. They just once again, the world just takes a huge dump on Stallone. Yes, they're hunting him down and trying to kill him for no reason. But he does escape captivity, but there was no reason to, for him to be held captive. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So interesting thing about this is filmed in a town called Hope in Canada, and um, hopeless. Yes, that's the thing that's on the DVD commentary. Like Stallone's like, the interesting thing about hope is that there's no hope. It's, it's, it's a dead end town. But I don't know. I recommend it. It's my number one. I don't know why I put it ahead of Die Hard. You raise a... When you just said like that, why do I like Rambo? Why do we like these action films? I mean, that... Have you got any thoughts on that? Hmm. Well, as men, it's kind of maybe appealing to our primal need <laughs> to be saviours or beat other people to something i don't know is it symbolic of the hunt for survival and so i don't know i suppose i find it entertaining but it might uh appeal to our primal yeah instincts in some way something within us for trash maybe yeah i that makes a lot of sense to me i think there is it appeals to the sort of the protector there's also something about, especially it distracts you, <laughs> occupies distra- your mind. It's distracting. Yeah. Who yeah. doesn't? But it probably is a man thing that you you want to watch um, killing. Um, there is something about the simple justice of like, here's a bad guy, he's killing innocent people. Who doesn't fantasize about stepping in and saving the day? Well, I am more sensitive about violence than I used to be. Yeah. Funnily enough, when I was like ten, I wanted to watch all the eighteen, so I wasn't bothered by RoboCop that scene where they shoot him to shoot his limbs off and all that. But now I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I need that. I actually watched Wonder Woman 1984, and I like it that she says I don't like guns, and there's not yeah. a lot of guns in it because yeah. it's almost like a, a societal moral thing now. It's just fucking guns and everything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, I interrupt you, but. I'm not as into violence as I was. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I'm probably a bit more sensitive to it now as well. I probably get a bit more upset in films as well. Especially I, if they establish the character. Yeah. I mean, it can be very useful for the plot, but it's like, fuck. You know, it's, yeah. it's horrible thought. It's the worst thought you can have to have someone you know getting murdered in front of you. you know, do you know what I mean? But I think there's something else about the the kind of one man can save them. That kind of like, you know, in Die Hard, you've got the, you know, the, the authorities are incompetent and it's down to you, one guy using his wits to get the job done. Same with First Blood in that he's yeah. better than the cops that are chasing him. Way better. Right. right. Yeah. And he uses very sort of like basic survival techniques. And yeah. I think you're right. There's something primal about surviving and saving the day that... It's like a modern Western and just yeah. a hero that's showing, you know... It makes you feel good that someone is not... Because in reality, James Bond would have died in the first film. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's interesting that they do keep you engaged because you know that uh, McLean is not going to die or Rambo or Bond. Yeah. And they manage to keep you entertained. It's like a kind of comfort food in a way. It's like like the the superhero stories. Like we kind of need those myths. Like they're healthy stories for us to sort of imbibe. And they're kind of good on a maybe some kind of psychological or spiritual level. Like it's important to have those stories of a heroic narrative. Yeah. Okay. So Andy, thanks so much. Have you got any social media you'd like to flog where people can follow you? Yeah. The improv, I run a group called the inflatables. Um, the inflatables is on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And I mean, so did you put inflatable stuff on like swimming gear? Or... I might bring an inflatable oh, object along, but that's the, that's the end of They're it. Not sex dolls or anything like that. Not yet, but we'll, we'll see. I, I need more inflatable objects. That might be on the list. Yeah. Um, I'm in an improv group called music box as well. We do an improvised musical and an improv group called beings, which is myself and a, uh, another performer, Sue Harrison. And we do a, a sort of two person improv show. And that's the one that we're going to watch. Uh, that I'm going to perform in um, three weeks ago. Okay. Thanks so much, Andy. Thanks so much. I've really it enjoyed emotional. it. emotional. Thanks for picking my brain on this crap. <laughs> Give me someone to spew it to. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank All right. you. Cheers. Leave anything for us? Just bodies. 